Hi everyone, welcome to That Defense Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Indian legal realities. For today's episode, Abhinav Sekri, a Delhi-based criminal lawyer, joins us and we are discussing criminal investigations. We try to locate criminal investigations in the largest scope of the Criminal Procedure Code of the country and we discuss how an investigation agency actually functions. For fans of Vasu, there's a sad news that he could not join us today. However, it still turned out to be a great episode and we hope you guys enjoy it too. So, hi, Abhinav. And can you just explain what investigation, where does it fit in in the larger scheme of things and what investigation is? Hi, hi, Rishabh. Hi, Vasu. Uh, <laughs> so, it's a bit of a broad one to really tackle, but investigations are, I mean, in a way, the heart and soul of the criminal justice system because ultimately, if if the larger end game is to have a trial and have to have courts adjudicating upon guilt or innocence, investigations are the means by which we ever can arrive at that end. So these are the powers that have been vested in police agencies and even non-police agencies to try and figure out what happened and to put it technically to gather evidence in respect of the commission of an offense. And that includes powers that range from the mere sending of notices to the arresting of individuals and obviously recording of statements etc etc so anything that you can imagine that largely is falling under the rubric of powers conferred for purposes of conducting the investigation yeah so what we'd like to say is that then during investigation because it happens before the trial actually commences and it's effectively yeah. a finding mission that the investigation agency or police are getting into so in this yeah. finding mission the investigation agency has varied competing interests that they have to compare that they have to actually take care of no so the investigating agency technically has only one interest which is to find out the truth so to speak right but the the investigating agency's interests are uh, singular but at the same time, the process by which this investigation is happening has to cater to the fact that the investigating agency is just one agent in this process. So you are serving the truth, yes, for the purposes of the, the ultimate trial. But at the same time, you have to do it in a manner that is fair to any suspects that you might encounter. Suspects which might then grade up to the level of persons who you accuse. And then there are victims who you have. Uh, to deal with carefully as well because they are the ones who have in a sense the most direct aggrieved interests out of uh, any other persons there are also the witnesses that the agency might go ahead and record statements from so those are another set of people whose interests the agency has to care about and how that caring exercise is taking place is frankly determined by way of uh, the process spelled out in legislation so I'd say that, uh, you know, for for looking at that balancing of interests, so to speak, that is that is something that the legislature thinks of. And then the answers of that balancing exercise are what can be found in various statutes, most predominantly the Criminal Procedure Code that talks about the process by which investigations ought to be conducted. So like this, that now this comes from like a ground reality question that, do you ever do you think that these interests are actually ever catered to? Because the huge dilemma usually is that the whole fight is that a fair trial is not happening. And what is this fair trial? So for someone, a fair trial 
So in a high profile case, you in which the accused is a high profile person, at that point, fair trial is considered to be something in which the investigation agency is hard on the uh, on the accused. But in, for example, a high profile like Nirbhaya case, fair trial was with the effect that the victim's rights are not being protected. So this whole idea of fair trial, how does then how does the investigation agency do this balancing act within the procedure that's provided to them? I think that's also an important factor. I mean, See, I mean, ultimately, I think there's a bit of a conflation here in the sense that the fair trial, when you speak of it, uh, you are placing and locating yourself within the context of the courtroom. But I agree that the fair trial ought to and necessarily by implication includes fairness in the investigation process. So just spelling out that assumption clearly for everyone. So on, on the question of a fair investigation, the idea is that yes, uh, I mean, ultimately, there is actually only one idea of fairness, which is that you have to follow the law. And there is there is no other measure here in the sense that if there are certain benchmarks that are provided for in the statute, and there are certain timelines that you have to adhere to, you have to follow them. And that is the fairness, like, you know, in a strictly legal sense. But obviously, when you are looking at an investigation, uh, one one example of fairness, so to speak, is bail hearings, where, for instance, if and the exercise of the powers that are being conferred upon you. So while there are all of these powers that the police has, a lot of these are obviously discretionary in the sense of, again, using arrest as an example. When do you decide that you need to arrest the individual? Right? So do you only do it to make sure that that person doesn't run away? Do you do it to ensure that that person doesn't threaten the victim or the witness? Or do you do it to send a message? All of these are different reasons, right? But ultimately, the accused might turn around and say that, how is it fair to have me in custody when there is no threat of me doing number one or number two? Because again, philosophically, legally speaking, you can't be using me to send a message to society, right? I am not an instrumental element. This is again, slightly... Uh, philosophical in a way but frankly it's also true in law where one person can't be treated as an instrumentality for you to achieve uh, other systemic goals so so there is that issue that crops up in arrest and bail where bail is often denied largely for no other reason but this issue of that message being sent out that grave crimes ought to be treated differently and i think you discussed this in some of your writings that i have it's also true that now economic offenses are considered grave, grave offenses. So if these economic offenses are considered grave offenses, that's the sole ground for the investigation agency to act a certain way. And then that's the new procedure. So for example, under PMLA or my laundering or like UAPA, the process and the idea of fairness in invest- investigation has changed. So I think what we feel or what I felt initially was that the code provides, the criminal procedure code provides a certain idea of fairness. And that fairness is the process of law. But that process of law at some point was realized to be too fair or it was considered to be too slow. And then the special laws came into being, which had a different process. And then with that different process, there's a different idea of what fairness is. But is it really mm-hmm. fairness? Because it makes a departure from what we understand as fairness to be. So, I mean, again, what do we understand fairness to be is a bit uh, here and there. But I agree that, you know, it is definitely contextual because like you rightly identify, the same standards are not found across the board. So even within the CRPC, different standards apply, let's say, to a case that is punishable with death and a case that is not. So similarly, 
that is what if, that is what is being seen across the board uh, when it comes to investigations under pmla etc and you're you're absolutely right in so far as different kinds of powers are being conferred and to take this example further i mean one famous historical uh, you know example of this is obviously terror laws such as the tada and the pota yeah. and even currently the makoka as it is called the maharashtra control of organized crimes act where all of these statutes confer the power to uh, record statements that are later on admissible even confessional statements that are admissible which is a huge departure from the traditional uh, scheme of things and yeah ultimately there is at some level a an assessment being made by parliament that look that is not good enough that ordinary procedure is not good enough and so we need that departure to safeguard interests of society yeah. so is that i don't know like ultimately is that fairness or not <laughs> yeah that's a it's, it's a really yeah. difficult one to answer because I, like what is the is is it a fairness assessment that is leading to the you know the current general procedure and i think that is a contested assumption to make because yeah. especially when it comes to india and a lot of our legal standards a lot of them are just there because of inertia rather than any prevailing notion of fairness or justice so yeah. it's a bit difficult to assume that fairness is the driving logic there but i mean there's definitely the recognition that the general is not good enough for a yeah. for a growing majority of crime not a minority anymore but slowly more and more exceptional categories are getting recognized where uh, exceptional measures are being permitted and i think that change in thinking of people at large is because i think lawyers understand crime to be committed differently from people at large like that's it's a bit sombish to say but for i feel that for us it's crime for a crime to happen there are certain ingredients that have to be fulfilled and if those are not fulfilled it is considered a if it's not that crime so that's a very simple idea for example if a b and c happens it it is for example fraud but if c doesn't happen only a and b happens it's not fraud but that idea of what a crime is is very difficult to prove and that's what investigation has to do in the so by coming back to what the investigation agency is doing it they are trying to establish if these ingredients are fulfilled or not and that's a long process by the end of the day and that yeah that delay in the process is being considered too much and that is now being i think confused with the rights of the accused and that's why there's the whole idea that it should go away so so i think what we also want to understand is what is the investigation agency trying to prove in the investigation what is it looking at uh i'll take your analogy only forward and uh use a rather literary sort of way to explain this yeah uh see the language of ordinary people and the language of law might be different and it is the job of the investigating agency to you know act as a translation agent basically they are they are the ones who are going to transform and it is really a transformative act that they are that they are engaging in transform the narrative that they get from a victim or a witness and then place it and locate it within the confines of the law so for instance let's say if you go to a police station saying that someone stole something from me it is the police officer who will then have to figure out where that is located within the law in the sense of okay did that happen from inside your house did that happen from outside your house 
did you already give it to that person and that person ran away with it did that person take it without your permission the answers to all of these questions will result in application of different provisions in law as far as the description of the crime itself is concerned so that transformative act is what the police are really responsible for in the process because ultimately it's the court can't locate itself there in the open to gather the facts to make that narrative a narrative that the law will recognize and so so that that largely is one way to think about an investigation you are right that it takes time but ultimately again to offer some pushback on this idea that that's why you know there are some who are recognizing that the rights of the accused ought to be taken away it's not that it's just because of the issue of time that the rights of the accused we have to also understand what rights do accused persons necessarily have in the investigative process to begin with as far as india is concerned and the answer frankly is that, that like not much right because for two three reasons one is obviously that the code of criminal procedure 1973 traces its origins back to the 19th century codes at a time when this notion of the accused person having rights etc was not really too well founded apart from the fact that there was a core right that you recognized which was the right to personal liberty in theory in a way Yeah. and so any deprivations of that required you know carving out specifically in statute so the investigation was not really seen as the site of that the trial was seen as the site of that slowly what has happened is because actually trials take as long as they do and the investigations are you know the front and center and the attention seeking mechanism so to speak that's where the action happens and that's where the focus also goes so which is why the focus on the rights at the investigative stage has grown a lot over time yeah. as opposed to the rights during trial which is where historically most of the fights had been yeah so today what we are seeing is that that limited notion of rights so what what rights does an accused have traditionally in the investigation a right to representation yeah. a right to legal assistance a right of obviously uh, not being arrested without reason or if you want to go ahead and expand that a right to prompt bail and a right not to be coerced into giving testimony so the so called right against compelled self incrimination yeah half of these are extremely qualified as is in india so for instance from practical experience i can tell you that the right to a lawyer during an investigation is not recognized in statute which yeah. is why it's one of the most uh, like one of the sadder things to tell people you know that the police aren't really doing anything illegal by not having me inside the room because yeah. frankly there's no legal requirement for them to do so yeah so so you know there's there's actually not too much left there to begin with for the new processes to truncate mm -hmm. with what has happened is that the new processes largely have truncated two things one is obviously your right of bail yeah which is what they attack most vigorously and the other thing that the other processes attack is this uh, the the statements angle about whether or not your confessions are admissible in evidence yeah. but apart from that there's not much that uh, the new processes have to take away to begin with if you get what i mean sorry i think it's just circling back a bit that very interesting thing because at one part the investigation agency has this duty to translate a crime a happening of a crime into law that's one part and for that they have they will do it because that's their job by the end of it but on the other hand the accused like you rightly explained does not have a lot of rights 
so maybe he has a counterfactual narration to what has happened and he wants to plead certain so this so these are two things was one is is the investigation agency actually trained enough to convert a factual narration by a victim into law and do they do it rightly because that's one part and the second part is because the uh, the rights of the accused are so limited by the end of it how does the accused ensure that their rights also come into this narration of facts because then that because right now what investigation what i'm trying to understand is investigation agency has a huge role and that the role that they fulfill will actually define everything that will happen in the trial will happen will lead to conviction or not so are they even doing this and uh, how is this happening then i mean you are you are absolutely right in your assessment about the importance of their role and they are trained as in technically speaking the, the the officers who are conducting investigations they have necessary courses and necessary training in law the police manuals that govern their actions are also uh, necessarily spelling out you know the requirement to do it in a certain way that safeguards these interests and as to your specific questions about you know the accused has a version frankly the accused is there for questioning and the accused when the accused offers a version it is incumbent upon the police officer to investigate all facts yeah right so obviously what we find is happening like more often than not at least if we believe the accused's version is that often those allegations are not met fully so the the difficulty is then what does an accused do the accused then approaches remedies we file in quashing petitions etc etc but let's please understand that those are actually a very minuscule component of the larger you know story of litigation yeah. it's it's uh, front and center because it happens in appellate courts the high court and the supreme court and gets a lot of traction but the bread and butter is not a quashing petition the bread and butter is an actual investigation and where if you look at ncrb data it's not that all investigations are ending in uh, charge sheets only so yeah. the ncrb's data shows that not an insignificant number but uh, it's not 0.1% also it's at least in double digits that cases are not closing in charge sheets they are being closed either as false cases or for want of evidence yeah so at least at some level yes that exercise is happening now is that exercise happening robustly enough are they trained well enough to be able to you know uh fully discharge their responsibilities in that transformative exercise as we as we put it i mean again it's it's an assessment question if you were to speak to someone who is on the side of the prosecution the answer might be different if you speak to someone on the side of the defense the answer might be different i usually sit on the side of the defense and usually my answer is that no it's not always very sufficient yeah. but again it's an assessment question so ultimately uh i think that uh, in my assessment from my limited experience often we do find that either those uh, those versions of the accused are not sufficiently explored because well, that might not lead to a charge sheet one thing is are there enough in, there is no incentive for someone to do that like that's a very crass way to put it but what are the incentive that investigation agency has so they have a job to do their job can be really complicated and can be re- it's really hard to investigate but they can take a path of least resistance and try to try to do it you know like do the bare minimum to ensure something happens and i think this leads to another factor that the rate of conviction or the how many charge sheets charge sheets are finally filed lead to conviction that is also not that high i think it's lesser than 50% if i i might be wrong here 
but so that's also a thing what are the incentives that the investigation agency has during investigation and if, even if they file a charge sheet it's not that it will lead to a conviction so that's also a huge problem there so just on your point of least resistance frankly that is also found and more often found in not registering firs altogether yeah. right so that is where you find your path of least resistance you just don't register the case to begin with yeah because investigations are complicated involve a lot of paperwork and it's in nobody's interests to actually carry out that task but as far as the other thing is concerned you're absolutely right that the charge sheet is the easiest way to do it mm-hmm. because ultimately it uh, i would put it the other way as well it's not about least resistance it's also about deviating from the norm yeah. see ultimately if i if i file a charge sheet i have to answer lesser questions than if i file a if i file a closure report yeah. let me if i put myself in the in the shoes of a police officer yeah. because if i file a charge sheet that case will normally go ahead to trial and the accused person will have his or her rights in statute clearly there at the certain subsequent stage where the prosecutor will deal with it if i file a closure i have to explain that closure much more to a degree that is much higher than the degree to which i have to explain why i filed a charge sheet yeah so the there is you are you are right i would agree with you in the sense that normally nobody has any incentive to deviate from the norm yeah. especially when you know that boss i can kick the ball further and someone else exists further down the line to pick up that baton to pick up that ball and deal with it yeah. if i file a closure i have dealt with it yeah. right and tomorrow then i will have to face the consequences of having made that decision the class attorney's case sir court se karwa lena like why are you troubling my no absolutely no, absolutely absolutely and you're right and and frankly they're not wrong in the sense that it is the court's job but the issue is that if if you know everyone was applying their mind to the level at which they were then that would also reduce the burden that is on courts because and this is something that impacts things in a systemic way as well where if you look at uh, what do you say if you look at the larger statistic about pending cases investigations end up like you said around 85 90% or investigations end up in charge sheets yeah courts are not able to finish more than 30% of their work any given year yeah i mean 30 is also being charitable and so that just keeps ballooning the rate of pendency and like you said ultimately it's not that 85% cases are ending in convictions yeah half of them are actually bogus cases because either the evidence is not good enough or it's just not an offense made out in law yeah so if that exercise of that screening exercise was happening in a more robust fashion then maybe we would also be dealing with a significantly less number of pending cases yeah so it's not only about uh, it's not, it has a larger implication so that's just something that is worthwhile to flag yeah also then then i think uh, that's i think I, you've also written about it previously that because now it's what we are seeing is not something out of the world like we are just discussing what's happening so that's a general perception also that you know there might be a case that the police officer might not be doing his job correctly or there is there is no incentive so this leads to the court monitoring investigations or people now relying yeah. upon the courts to come and monitor investigations or do investigations and that happens across range so that can happen in a trial for example in a trial court you can move a certain application or you can go in high profile cases you come straight to the high court or the supreme court and try to file a writ petition then try to influence the investigation in a certain way and, and do you think that's a solution or do you think that's actually leading to a problem by the end see it 
again so here is where the stakeholder perspective becomes important to consider because what you find is it might be something that makes all the stakeholders more uh, it's also a trust issue yeah right so if you don't trust the cops if you don't trust the the people who are ordinarily charged with an investigation you might waste greater trust as both accused and victims in the exercise being monitored by a third person an arbiter as such now obviously that can't happen in every case so what you find is and there is actually no statistical evidence as such to show whether the quality of investigations is better or worse it's just that the visibility ends up you know if you know that someone is watching your every move every two weeks then you might act in a very different way as opposed to you know you just having a free reign till the deadline day and then figuring out everything and filing your papers yeah so so ultimately then frankly the courts also can't do it in every case then that means that some cases are being privileged over others is that fair really there are like seriously because ultimately just because it is a high profile case does that mean that a non high profile case ought to be treated differently with a lesser quality of an investigation it it's a serious question because ultimately yeah. that's what that's what ends up happening and to give you my current favorite example look at what's happening in respect to the unitech case in the supreme court where frankly every two weeks there is a hearing that is going on where documents are being shared in sealed covers the accused persons have been as under trials in custody for over 3 and a half or four odd years what's stopping the trial from just concluding this go ahead like hold pass orders expediting the trial ask that to be concluded on a day to day basis and just you know get that ultimately by not doing that by scrutinizing every minute detail of the investigation that that ends up you know complicating the hands of the agencies that ends up complicating the rights of the accused and that also then skews the system overall because ultimately you know th- there are some cases that are getting this high profile treatment as well given the kind of offender or the kind of stakes involved but ultimately the system is all the more poorer for it because you are in a way sending a message that this can't be happening in the regular case that this quality that we are giving you is you know reserved for the creme de la creme yeah. and that's that's really you know in a way what's really the point For both for all sets of persons yeah yeah is and i think another thing is that now at i what i find very weird is that now you see maybe there's a more visibility to it but now you see uh appellate petitions asking for a cbi investigation so yeah, it's, what gives me a right to ask for a cbi investigation except the fact that yeah. my crime is being highlighted among everyone so No, exactly right and there is no jurisprudence behind it either and if you were to in, in, in like go into this issue of what merits a transfer etc it's all very i know it when i see it like there is no real standard as such that you can really put your finger on to yeah and, but then basically who can afford the lawyer to argue this in court that's the standard yeah and how far high can you go so if you don't win with the high court then do you have the resources and the ability to go to the supreme court etc etc so that really is about it yeah but do you think this investigation agencies that we supposedly have more trust on the cbi or i think i'm again saying that you've written on it because you uh, because about these other independent agencies so called so the nia for that matter these agencies that are formed under a special act do you think this this is a solution because 
an ordinary investigation agency which is usually in the traditional sense the cops or the police as we call it the state police is not considered a good version or they or they do not do a good investigation so then there are these agencies under these acts so is that a solution so like what we are trying to figure out that there are various things that the legislature does which actually is not the solution but they try to pitch it as the solution do you think that works see how and i think there's a good theoretical example of this in there is there is some writing by this author called nasir hussain who has written on the idea of emergencies but also otherwise what's interesting is how many exceptions do you create right so do you want a specialized agency for every small other thing and ultimately then what happens is that these specialized agencies are not the agencies that are going to be dealing with persons on a day to day basis and again that is that can't and is not can never be the answer because ultimately the legitimacy of your criminal justice system is not upheld by having these special agencies by is by having a police force that is responsive and that has the trust of the ordinary people because why does anyone turn to the criminal justice system right in the ideal normal world it is to because that is the answer that you have when you are faced with a problem that you know, seriously affects your right to life or personal liberty or your or derivative rights as such as individuals like there's a massive theft in your house what do you do you can't really like you know find the culprit you don't know who the culprit is you need that arm of the state and there is also a level of trust that you have in that arm of the state to do the job if that is not there it's it's really there really is no point because slowly slowly then that corrosion extends so for instance if you were to look at the public perception the cbi is now back and has always been you know that there's that doubt, like line about caged parrots and yes. and what not yeah there are corruption allegations that have been leveled against the officers in all of these agencies the cbi and the ed combined today the nia is also viewed at with suspicion because of the implications of the central government versus the state government okay. so there is suspicion all around it's not that like you know and frankly it's not that the conviction rates of any of these agencies is is very high as opposed to the other yeah. so for instance if you were to look at the the only reason why there is a higher conviction rate in a lot of the ncrb data on special laws is a lot of those are offenses that are like you know crystal in the sense of an arms act offense or a liquor offense where if you are found in possession of that contraband that is that that's proven proven yeah but when it comes to building a case it's not that either the cbi or the ed or the nia have a track record that is showing you that oh look we are getting convictions we are building cases that are trustworthy yeah so ultimately on two points then it's not really ever going to sustain as an answer one is the more exceptions you create the more actually you drive a wedge in what is the ordinariness of crime which is what normal people need from the criminal justice system which is the answer because all of these cases that these agencies are dealing with the cbi the ed or the nia these are real like they are to give you an example the amount of attention that a uapa case generates in terms of the media is extremely disproportionate to its total number the total number of uapa cases in the system right yeah there are at that 2000 odd prosecutions that are there that's all you have 2.5 crore cases that are pending so and and that's not that's not a marker on we shouldn't talk about these cases we should but ultimately that's not 
what is going to define how the criminal justice system works and if you are talking about like you know lifting the barometer on the minimums then you can't be hoping to do that by again and again going to a special agency yeah so the solution so do you so usually we try to avoid this question but do you think that there is a solution with respect to how can we build this trust back and like what because by the end of it it's a systematic problem that's that has that that needs a complete overhaul that we need in the system but is there in on the top of your head something that the state might do to build the trust of the individuals and accept what they are doing right now i mean so there is a, a fair bit of literature on policing at, at, as a, as a concept so i think started with investigations but we're ending with policing yeah. but investigations are a, sus- a subset of what policing is all about right policing is about having an officer who has a presence how many of us knows or have regular police officers that are you know maintaining a presence we don't have that many police officers to begin with let's be very clear yeah. so but policing investigation is a subset where you have persons who you trust in the form of a policing agent who then is who you turn to when you know that kind of bad thing happens yeah so unless you start with that there is no hope for you to then just assume that you know when the worst thing happens these agents are going to turn up and deliver so no no i mean it's 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 way beyond ordinary comprehension yeah, like exactly. the, the budgetary constraints that are there so you can just hope that what you have already you start by improving what you have which is that if you are if you have an agency that is bringing in charge sheets on the house 85% and 50% or less of them are ending in convictions then the first place to start would obviously be to have greater scrutiny of the quality of the output right yeah so that would be a good place to start because ultimately if you realize that what is building trust in the system is it the charge sheet or is it the conviction and that's actually a very important question that we don't answer anymore because if frankly the charge sheet is what is building trust in the system then so what if it's a bogus charge sheet no one's waiting around to figure out whether there is a conviction or not right exactly. and if we are only in the perception game and that's what a post truth world seems to be t- teaching all of us is that perception matters a lot more than facts then should the police not just be investing as much time and energy in the perception game and yeah because if the facing because often facing trial is in itself yeah exactly so that's facing trial is the punishment people are happy with respect to you being under trial for 5 years and that's yeah that, so that, nobody that, cares about the trial the whole, so right. maybe yeah so maybe we need to be we need we need to change our thinking it's we who are at fault it's not the system the system is actually working fine Yeah. it is our our old fashioned way of thinking that needs to be automatically changed yeah and i think so, other in an interesting thing we do, like our time is running out but another one like interesting thing i feel is that this investigation and lack of trust on investigation agencies by the public and also by the court also leads to a bypass of the criminal procedure because then you start making yeah. sure doctrines on the top of your head to ensure that at least one person gets a fair investigation but that this leads to more confusion and not solution yeah no you are absolutely right about that yeah so i think that so i think it's that i think that's the thing it's what i think in our early episode of bills also also we ended up at this conclusion that what what's the goal what if the goal is to send a message then the goal is being fulfilled 
because if sending a message ensures there's less crying it's it's doing what it has to do you don't need yeah. a, you don't need a conviction you just need to file a charge sheet so that yeah like, that's what yeah so the how how we understand is actually different so either you change the perception at large or you change your perception correct yeah all right okay thank you avinav thank you for this uh thank you for joining us and thank you for being part of this podcast we were really happy to have you on no my pleasure <laughs>